I'm going to go ahead and grab a seat. We'll get started here. Um, I am just going to do a quick intro of our uh, of our guest speaker here this morning. So um, let's see. We'll just. My name is Rich. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet this morning, but uh, if you're visiting, we just want to thank you for joining us and encourage you to make yourself at home. Um, yeah, I am one of the pastors here. Jeff did announcements as well as another. We have a couple pastors floating around. But um, this morning we have a kind of a pastor who's a guest speaker here. And uh, some of you might know him already. He's from a, a church in Fort Collins there that actually um, John is, uh, he was my first pastor. Um, I actually responded to Christ after a message he shared back in January 1996. You know, and so, uh, and I became a part of the, the church family. There's some of you community church in Fort Collins, which is really where we sent a team of folks down to start this church here, uh, the Firehouse Church. So, um, but anyways, John has meant a lot to me, and uh, I think he's going to have some good things to share here. But I encourage you to give him a warm welcome here, if you would. Welcome John Meyer up here. night, I got to hang out with three of your pastors. Tim was out of town. We spent the night. We slept here in the building. Brad says, I need to keep a record of how many Great Commission church buildings I've slept in. So there's another notch on my belt here. Uh, but just had a really good time in prayer, praying for your church. And just the vision here, and thanking God for what He's done, and thinking about the future. And uh, I just think there's some really exciting things ahead for you all in the future of your church. I think the very fact that you're here in this building is a sign that God has, has, a, um, has a future that He Himself sees that He's going to unfold for you all. And it was just, it's just good to get a little bit of a sense, kind of a, uh, an impression from God that, that He is going to reveal Himself in new and powerful ways. So that was really fun. It was really encouraging. So I am going to share in your series. You guys are in a series on what makes the good news, what's good about the good news. Is that, that's the series? What makes the good news so good? Yeah. And uh, um, I don't have a PowerPoint for you, but I have three simple points that my goal is to see if I can help you remember. And it is certainly true that the good news has lots of aspects that are really good. And this morning, I get to share about the aspect of family. That there is a dimension of family that comes to our lives through the gospel, through the good news. And that, that reality of family uh, is meant to be one of the essential dimensions of the life that we live on this earth now. And uh, I want to talk about three different aspects of what comes to us through the family of God that we get through the gospel, through what God did for us in Christ. And so, why don't you let me pray again? I appreciate Jeremy's prayer, just a call to us to faith. Just allow me one more time to ask God to be with us and speak to us, and, and uh, we'll begin. Well, God, we do recognize your presence here. Lord, you said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. You said that you're here. 
you are a relational God. You desire to engage with us and to interact with us. God, we're the ones that ignore you. We're the ones that, that have our own thoughts, our own ways. God, you are here to fill our lives with your spirit, to touch our hearts with your truth. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would allow you to do that, that we would have that faith that allows you to speak into our soul and to draw us into your presence. I thank you, God, for the reality of what is and what will be. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be able to do what you want to do, which is to teach your church this morning. We ask that for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to talk about family, and the place to start with family is with Father. So that's our first point, is that when we come to God, we enter a relationship with a Father. Now, it's really important for us to understand that God really is the Father of everyone. And we might wonder about that. How do we define that? Is God really everyone's father? But I think if we think it through, it's pretty easy to, to come to the conclusion that in a really, really profound way, God is the father of every person. Uh, and if I were to ask, uh, why would, what would be one reason that we would know that that's true? Why, why do we know God's the father of everyone? What would you say? He created us. Father, another uh, way or, or concept or word we could put with Father is that God is our source. Where do people come from? It tells us in the Bible that God is the Father of our spirits. God's the Father of every single spirit. He makes an eternal spirit and that is a human life. We are told that we are made in the image of God. That's true of every single person. It's really a really profound thing. In one sense, God's the father of everything. He's the father of the creation. He's the father of the bunnies. You know, we speak about the fathers of our nation. George Washington and Jefferson and all those guys. They're the fathers of their country. Why are they the fathers? Well, because they're the source. They're the beginning. They're the ones that made it. God is the father of all the creation. But in a really unique way, He is the father of human life. Because of all else that God made, only you are made in His image. You, human life, every single human life is created in the image of God. Every single human life is created to be a reflection of that which God is in all that He is, in all of His, His character, in all of the, the uh, things that He desires to experience. In, in reality, God made you and me and every single individual in that shape, in that, in that image. And so I don't think the bunny has any great deep desire for justice or compassion. Every human being finds within themselves a deep value and love for the things of God and a deep need for love. And relationship, because God is relationship. And so, right now there are about 7 billion creatures on the earth. 
all in the image of a Father. More than in just that they're created stuff from the Father. But they are made in His image. As a matter of fact, when we look at the genealogy of human life, you uh, are a human being that has a father. Some of you are fathers. Your father had a father. His father had a father. And we can go back. Another father, another father, another father. How, how far can we go back? When does it stop? The Bible tells us it stops about 150 generations ago. And we reach the end of fathers. And who is that first father? Who's the first father? Ooh. Right answer. God. Okay. Why is that the right answer? Who is God's son? Wrong. Wrong answer. You are not God's son in the sense we're talking about now because Jesus was God's son. Who was God's son? Who? Adam. Where does it say that? Genealogies. Gospel of... Was the Gospel of Luke. Luke. And it says, Seth was the son of Adam. He goes, was the son of, was the son of, was the son of. Seth was the son of Adam. Who was the son of? I believe that's true. That means, if that's true, you are a descendant of God. That is your father. Now, humanity is estranged from God. Humanity is cut off from God. If we look at the parable of the prodigal son, remember Jesus told this story about a father and his son said, give me the inheritance and he left. And, and it was a story about God and his people. And, and there's a place where the, the son comes back and the father says to the older son, it says, son, we had to celebrate because this son of ours was dead. But now he's alive. And God has made all mankind in sin dead. We've got to catch this. Why does God love people? Did He just stumble along and find us and say, Whoa, what a bunch of sad specimens. Somebody needs to take care of these guys. <laughs> no. The reason God loves humanity, the reason God loves people, is because He is their Father. He is their Father. They are His children, lost and dead. But they are made in His image. They are not the bunnies. They are not the whales. They are His children, made in His image, in His shape. And He loves them. And they're dead. And they have no relationship with Him. They are cut off. And 
in Christ, we are brought back into relationship with our Father. That is the good news of the Gospel. That's what's so good about the good news. And if there's anything that's broken in this world, it's the concept of fatherhood. So many people have seen a very poor expression of that. A few people have seen a good expression of that. And to some people, the whole notion of the fatherhood of God is a very hard and challenging thing. But you need to understand that whatever you have seen in the realm of fatherhood it is just a poor reflection of the reality of true fatherhood which is expressed in God. It says in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, if we look at the NIV, which you guys use here um, in your footnotes, I really love this translation. Let's, let's just look at it. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, it's on page... Uh, 1159 if you use one of these Bibles and um, the very top of 1158 actually it says for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name this is apparently uh, if you look up commentaries they talk about how it's a hard verse to translate a number of translations do a little bit differently as I have looked at it I think an accurate translation and one I really like is in the footnote if you look down at the very bottom of the page in the footnote what it says is uh, I kneel before the father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name everything that ever is labeled fatherhood comes from this this is the beginning this is the, this is the fullness this is what fatherhood is God bringing to existence that which He loves. And we can know and believe that God loves every person for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe one of the simplest is, like, like, like all of us would, God only makes the people that He likes. If He doesn't like you, He doesn't make you. God creates what he loves God made you God loves you God made the person still sleeping across the street in the apartment God made them God loves them God loves me in all my weirdness and all my idiosyncrasies there's no one like me God loves me not generically as a human being He's the father of my spirit. He loves me. He loves you. Not generically. He's the father of your spirit. And he's the father of the spirit of the guy across the street. And he loves them. And yet, in the in the consequence of sin, we die. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God 
spirit which was so full in their lives left them and God said the day you sin you will surely die and that day they died and Romans 5 tells us when they died everybody died every child that would ever come from them was born was a place for the spirit of God created in the shape of God and yet not knowing God And you know what? You and I need to recognize the incredible challenge in that. Understand, every human being was made in God's image, was made to be filled with and to run on and to be flowing with the Spirit of God. That's the shape that they're in. And every human being is born without that. Every human being has to find life apart from the very thing they were created to flow life from. They live alone. I don't think that's hard for the bunnies. I don't think that's hard for the whales. As human life, you were made for the Spirit of God. And in sin, it was torn away and you died and you were born that way. And when we hear the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we are told that that Father, that Father sent a Savior to us. And of all those thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who were killed on a Roman cross. Hundreds of thousands of people died that way. One of those people was uniquely different because that one person was a prophesied Messiah sent from God. And in that death, God himself entered my broken, messed up world and God redeemed me back to himself in an eternal way and God's spirit through faith comes into my life. And if we were to look at John chapter 1, this is a political season. We hear a lot about rights. Here's your only biblical right that I've ever found. John chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, page 11 or 1049. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And in Jesus, you receive the right to become a child of God, to re-enter that place for which you were created, and to enter into not just a created scenario where God is your Father, God becomes your Abba Father. God becomes your Father in a Daddy way. There is a real living connection as God Spirit comes back into you and you belong back in the family. 
God says, I'm reuniting my family. I am saving my lost dead children. And I enter their form and their shape coming in the person of a man in Jesus Christ. And I will die as a sinless man, as a second Adam, so that my family can be called back to me and I can begin again. That's the good news. And God becomes my Abba Father. So God is the Father of everyone. You, me, every person you work with, every person in this neighborhood, every person in your physical extended family. But though they were made for God to be their Father, they may be completely cut off and dead in relationship with the Father. And only in the good news, only in death of that man 2,000 years ago, are we redeemed back into living relationship with God. And all of a sudden, we are back reunited, members of the family of God, in relationship with an Abba Father. That is the good news of the Gospel. God is our Father. It is who we belong to. tells us in Romans that we are the firstborn of many brethren. Or he was, I'm sorry, he was the firstborn of many brethren. We are the brethren. We are that brethren. And, and, um, and so, the first point I want to leave with us this morning is the thought of belonging connected to the Father. The Father, it is who you belong to. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And you define yourself all kinds of ways. Well, I'm a person that does this. I work here. I own this. I look like this. This is what I am. This is what I am. This is what I am. This is how you should see yourself. Who are you? You are the child of the Creator of the universe. You are made in His image. You are made to be like Him. He made you to reflect Himself. He made you to express Himself. And you belong to Him in a unique way. He didn't make the angels like you. He didn't make anything else like you. You are a child of God. That's the identity you've got to own to live the way God wants you to live. And that's a pretty amazing thing. If the guy who created all the universe is your father, who are you? And it is seeing the claim in that great of a light that God wants to call us to. Otherwise, you won't live the way He wants you to live. You were made to be great. You were made to to stand in tremendous courage. You were made to stand in, in, in tremendous compassion and injustice. You were made to be an amazing, amazing, amazing person. Why wouldn't you be amazing? You are the son, child of God. And as you own that, this is my father. This is my father. This is my father. This is who I am. And as that thought permeates your view of reality, you change into the image of your Father.
And it's not just a story. It's not just an analogy. It's not just a metaphor. Where in the world did you come from? God is your father. Nobody else is. Who else could be? If you came from anybody else, you don't need to worship God. You should worship wherever you came from. Worship your father. You are a child of God. And in Christ, you re-enter that relationship. He is your Abba Father. And you have a relationship with Him where Jesus said, Don't hold on to me yet because I'm going to my God and to your God. To my Father and to your Father. He is your Father in the same way. He was Jesus' Father. Whoa. God, that's who I am? That's who I am? Really? And just one other detail here in our world that is so confused, so messed up about gender issues. Some people even change how the Bible gets translated because they're trying to help the Bible out. And they'll change phrases that we would find around the Bible. It says in, in, in the Bible, it says you're all sons of God. You're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. You're all sons of God. Some people get offended. Wait a minute. What about daughters of God? And they'll change the Bible. Sons and daughters of God. But it's not what it says. It says you're all sons of God. Well, isn't God being sexist? Or maybe Paul is being sexist? The whole Bible is just cultural? And in a sense, it's true. The Bible is cultural. But understand this. You can be really, really thankful and really glad that it says you're all sons of God. Because when Paul wrote that phrase, in his day, women were second-class citizens. They were common objects of infanticide. They were simply used as sexual objects. They were practically property. Everyone knew that daughters had way less value than sons. And so if Paul had said, you are all sons and daughters of God, people would have understood very clearly that in God's economy... There are two classes of people, men and women. And God and Paul looked right at his audience and God through him and spoke right into that culture and said, You are all sons of God. You all stand in the primary place before God. You're all in that special valued first place with God. And that is because of what was done at a cross in Jesus Christ. And he was the firstborn of many brethren. And that's who we are. We're the brethren. So, he's the father. we receive a father Father, where we belong, or know who we belong to, who we belong to. Now we're going to what we belong to. And that's the people of God. 
family. John 13.34 He's the firstborn of many brethren. We're the brethren. We have relationship. So what do we get in the good news from that? Well, one thing is, is a, a new command. So, so right before Jesus died... The night before he died, in John 13, we, we have these words here. He says, the Last Supper, there's communion. He washes their feet. And after those things, he says this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. Up to this point, Jesus hadn't hardly said anything new. Everything he said was in the Old Testament. And so he comes up right before he's, he's going he's to be arrested. And he says to him, I'm going to say something new now. Okay, this is going to be new. I have never said anything new. Now I'm going to say something new. This is new. What was new? Love one another? That was new? What's new? Was that really new? What was new in that command? As I have loved you. Okay, get this. For three years, these guys experienced what no one else had ever experienced ever in the history of the world. These guys had experienced real, true, perfect love. None of us have ever experienced that. You've had people that have tried to love you. You've had people that have failed in loving you. You've had people that have loved you the wrong way. They lived with absolute perfect love for three years. When they failed, Jesus forgave them. When they were boneheaded, Jesus washed their feet. When they forgot, He helped them. Over and over and over, they experienced something they never experienced before. And then He said, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm finally going to tell you something that you have to do I'm leaving you with it's new what you've experienced from me do that with one another now you can't do it in the same way with the lost it's not going to work the same way you've got to love them you've got to care for them you've got to, you've got to be sacrificial for them but among yourselves you guys can have something really amazing because you've experienced this and you can turn this this selfless example of love to one another and you can create community with it. You can create a group of people that are all pursuing this level of love and when you do that, something amazing will come into existence in the world. It's the church of Jesus Christ. This is my new command. What you've you've experienced with me, you guys do this together. And when the world sees this community that's created by this level of love, they'll know that you're my disciples. They'll know, whoa, there's just nothing like that. So for us today to do that, what has to happen? First of all, we have to experience that level of love from God. I can't bring it to you unless I have my own relationship with God, which is very challenging because we can walk with God for a long time and not be faithful in pursuing our own relationship with God. Are you children of God? Is God your Father? Do you believe it? Are you pursuing growing and knowing your Father? 
If you are, it will affect you and you can take that impact that God has on you and you can turn it into community. And when it comes into community, there's power and life. And that's possible because we experience that love in the good news of the reality of a Father who sent a Savior who loves us. And we can afford to be honest in our relationships and we can be afford to be honest about our own lives. You don't have to put on airs, although we all naturally do, don't we? We're trying to you know, find our place. We're trying to be liked. We're trying to feel okay socially, even with one another. But God says, listen, I'm going to give you a foundation that can cut through all that because you're all sinners and you're all loved. You're all loved the same and you're all broken the same. You all could stand up here and share stories that would totally embarrass you and would freak us out because we can't believe how selfish and petty and broken and sinful you are. Every one of you. And I could start. And every one of you are loved more than you can comprehend. And in that level of common need and common grace, I can dare to be who I really am. And so can you. And we can grow that way. But apart from that, I spend a lifetime learning how to hide more and more and more. In the Spirit of God, I become more and more real and more honest. We can create that community because we're a family with a Father who loves us and has sent us a Savior and redeemed us from our sins and filled us with His Spirit who is always trying to love through us always moving us to humility, always moving us to brokenness, always moving us to just be real and let Jesus be who He is in our life. You know, in the Bible, there's a whole bunch of verses called the one another verses. I think there's 28 distinct ones. I think they're repeated 30 sometimes. Love one another, care for one another, reprove one another, help one another, uh, be patient with one another. Uh, um, And I don't have a list of them. But you and I are called in a really profound way to living real relationship with one another. We're born of a really relational father. Most people think of God as being really impersonal. Oh, God, He's so impersonal. Good grief, why don't you read the Bible? See, here's the truth. You're the impersonal one. You're the one that can't do relationship. You're the one that's broken relationally. God is really relational. You read through the Bible from the beginning to the end. What did He do in the beginning? He made two people. What would you have done if you were the Creator? Oh, I'd make a whole bunch of them. Because you're not interested in relationship with one. You just want a bunch of stuff. All God needed to be fully satisfied in relationship was 
one or two people, you are fully enough for God. Now, God doesn't care about me. You are fully enough. All God needs to be fully satisfied relationally is you. He ends it all with a wedding. What could be more relational with that than that? We have a relational Father and He calls us to real living relationship that, that produces a community that makes us whole. And it says in the book of Ephesians that as we walk in that community that we all grow up and we change and we're transformed so that we look like Christ. Because we choose to walk in those relationships. Now, we have good news because we have a father, and that's who we belong to. We have a family, and that's where we belong. And, and, um, and maybe just a word about what God wants here for us. When we don't have, when we, you know, like when we're single, it's really easy to have our group of people, our community, be, our fa- be, a, be a, like a family. And that's true with every human being. When they're single or maybe when they're married, they don't have any kids, they have some circle of friends and that's their people. And they're hanging out with their peeps and they've got a huge Facebook page and all this stuff. And that's natural human life. And then if you get married and you have, you know, 16 kids or whatever, you tend to just sort of circle the wagons and there's your world in your home. And there's a reason and a place and and a purpose in that. But what we can never forget is that you have real brothers and sisters that will be your brothers and sisters forever. And you are in a community with them you cannot break and you cannot deny and you cannot step out of. A local church is a group of people Spirit-filled believers living in their community with a purpose, and they are brothers and sisters. You are a community. And God wants you to see that. You don't just connect with one another because you're social creatures. You sort of like it's kind of fun when you have time. If you have a common father, you think about that person on the other side of the room. Maybe you don't even like them. Maybe you're mad at them. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they dinged your car last week when they drove to church. And you go, that person has the same Father and the same Savior I do. That person is my brother, and I better be careful, or God may give me a room next to them for all eternity. (laughs) We are brothers. I didn't choose that. I chose my father, and he chose his father, and it happens to be the same guy, and now we're brothers. And I understand that brings an obligation to me to love. And to yield. And to let that reality be bigger than my own stuff. I yield to the reality of what is and welcome it. And then I'm going to speak one more thing about family and we have somebody else share some related things here. It's in 1 Peter 2.9.
And Peter's talking about our salvation, about the good news. And what makes it so good? And, and he then comes to this point. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His once wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you guys had no connection with one another. Now you are the people of God. And... And the purpose of our lives is to declare the, the wonders, to declare the, um, the excellencies, and to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Why did God leave His family here? Why not take us all home? Because there's a whole bunch of kids that don't know their dad yet. There's a whole bunch of kids that don't understand their shape yet, and they're so crazy. They're thinking they're finding it somewhere else. They're thinking they're going to find their identity or their life or their fulfillment somewhere outside the Spirit of God, which is this huge hole made inside them that nothing else is going to fill. And they're selfish and rebellious, and they're pushing it away. And God says, I'm going to leave you there, so that as you guys live in this community, and as you love one another, that you can declare this incredible excellencies of the fact that you finally repented and humbled yourselves and turned and come back and connected with God and gone, whoa, home, this is where I'm supposed to be. You need to come home too. You need to come home. You need to come home to your dad. And you can't see it. But that's what you need. And we declare His excellencies as we live together in community in this world. We have a Father. It's who we belong to. We have a family. It's where we belong. Okay. I have one more point. But somebody's going to share kind of how this has been real in their own life. And uh, Kayla's going to come up and just talk about the family of God and how it's impacted our world. And Kayla, I don't know if I've left you a good place here to start, but uh, you want to just come up and share a little bit of your own story? was 
nine, and I had a very um, I didn't really have like a foundation, I guess you could say. Didn't feel like I had a lot of support, um, and my my extended family was already really small. Like really small. Actually, the other day, my friend Sharon said the funniest thing. She said, "Kayla's family is so funny. Her cats." And she told a story about my cats, and I was like, "My cats? Like that's not my family." <laughs> She's like, "Your family is already really small. We need to take into account everything and everyone." <laughs> so, um, but anyways, my family became even smaller after this incident with my dad. Um, people started like pointing fingers of blame at each other and fighting. Um, and it was really hard um, for me. <laughs> I felt very alone. Um, my dad died actually when I was 16. He did take his life, and I lost contact with his side of the family. They just were so sad, I think. And um, my mom was trying her hardest um, to continue raising me, but I kind of just, um, I, I, I really was just on my own, honestly. And, or that's how it felt. Um, and I didn't have a relationship with God at this point. I felt really alone and abandoned. Uh, and, uh, but, two years later, I became a Christian. <laughs> and it was the best choice I have ever made in my whole entire life. Um, God really spoke to me in my loneliness when I was 19. Finally, I really was—I really thought that I could receive support and family from all of these people that didn't know God, and I was giving—I was giving to people what they thought that, or what I thought they needed in order to like love me and accept me and receive me and support me. Uh, but it was all false, and these friendships that I had were false. So, anyways, when I became a Christian, I was 19, and. Um, I didn't know anyone that was a Christian, and I actually became a Christian without anyone leading me to Christ. It was totally and completely the Holy Spirit all by myself one night, and um, it, was kind of, it was kind of cool. Um, I did know one one Christian that was close to my age. She, was like ten, she is 10 years older than me. She's my cousin. Her name is Michelle. Um, she is, was going to the Rock in Minnesota, which is a part of like is a part of like the Great Commission churches that the firehouse is a part of. And so I called her up and I was like, okay, so I'm like a Christian and things are different. I don't know what to do. And she told me to go to church, and I resisted. I did not want to do that. Um, but she continued praying for me, and she sent me a link to the firehouse. And I finally gave in because God kept prompting me to go, and I loved him so much, and I just wanted to follow him, you know. And so I um, walked into the firehouse for the first time all by myself, and it was awesome. Um, so many people, like, walked up to me to greet me, and they, like, wanted to be my friend. And it was, it's like the coolest memory because it was just, it's such a beautiful picture of, like, my life that had been thus far. I'd, like, been alone so much of my life. And then all of a sudden, God placed me in his family and surrounded me by his people. And I suddenly was not alone. <laughs> um, it was so cool. And I just, like, loved the firehouse and I kept coming back and... Um, a sh- 
Well, I think like an, a year later, actually, I moved in with some of the women, or some women that go to the firehouse, and it was so cool. I I thought I was gonna have such a hard time because I'd never shared a thing in my life, and I was so nervous about like sharing a room. And I remember one of the girls was like, I'm, "What size do you wear? We can share clothes." And I was like, oh, "I don't want to share my clothes." But there's this verse in Acts 2.44. It says, And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. And, I mean, my roommate's friend should correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I did a really good job sharing. I mean, God gave me so much grace. I think, and I, like, actually enjoyed sharing my things. And it's totally from God, you know. I love sharing a room. Um... And it was no problem sharing my clothes, and I learned to love to share their clothes myself. <laughs> um, let's see. So I have one distinct memory that I've never forgotten, and it was like about a year later we all decided to move. And usually when people move, they call up movers. But we didn't. We just asked people within our church to help us. And I will never forget that morning. It was really my first experience moving while belonging to a church. And um, So that day we didn't call up movers. We didn't need to because uh, like a bazillion people came to help us. And I remember specifically... Uh, Jeremy and Jessica Triggs there and I didn't know them very well but I remember watching them like carry out my bed and carry out my dresser and I was like wow these people don't even like really know me but yet they're like they're willing to lay down their life they're, they're willing to lay down their lives for me to help me I was blown away by that and um, I was standing up on our balcony and all the cars had been loaded there was like a dozen cars and I don't know what I was doing on the balcony I should have been like in a car or like moving I don't really know what I was doing up there but I was like watching all the cars like leaving to go to our new apartments and I just started to like bawl because like wow these people are like my family and I like have the support and I couldn't believe that this girl, like me, this girl who was like an only child and didn't have a dad, physical dad, had suddenly, like all, I keep saying suddenly because it really did seem like that even though it wasn't just like suddenly, but um, I, I had like brothers and sisters and I, God gave me these rich relationships and um, people were willing to like, lay down their lives for me and it was something I wasn't used to and I'm still like getting used to it. It's it's amazing and um, I I can like look around this room right now <laughs> and God has given me relationships friendships I didn't even know that they were like possible I didn't know that love was like this um, and I'm just so thankful for them and you guys I like love my church so much this family <laughs> Um, I do have two verses to share. Um, the first one is Psalm 68, 6. It says, God sets the lonely in families. And Matthew twelve fifty, it says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Thanks.
Well, you know, Kayla, I, I think about that verse that says um, he's a father to the fatherless and how you came to Christ without anybody leading you there and God just loving you and being faithful with your life. And just the reality of that family, too. I look back at my own life and how the church has impacted me. And you know what? We can become kind of familiar with our surroundings, but there's an amazing thing in the church of God, and there's an amazing thing here. The community that you guys have is a supernatural thing. There's real, real stuff, real eternal stuff here. And, of course, we all have our own brokenness still. We all have our, our warps from this world. We all have our flesh patterns. And that's what I want to end with. I, uh, um, I haven't done the greatest job of my little mnemonics here, but um, I started with Father, who we belong to, family, and that was what we belong to. And then the last point I just want to make briefly here is future, which is where we belong. And it says in First John... That uh, um, in chapter 3 it says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God has lavished incredible love on us. And then it says this, um, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There is a day coming when you are actually going to look like, in complete fullness and reality, a son of the creator of the universe. And in the book of Romans... It says in chapter 8, uh, and I, I uh, love how the NIV does this, it says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It's, it's almost hard to take it in. But what this verse says is, the entire creation is waiting to find out what I am going to become. And I say it that way because that makes it personal to me. The entire creation is waiting to find out what are you going to become. The sons of God are going to be revealed. Are you reunited with your Abba Father? Does God's Spirit live in you? Well, I've got some other news for you. You are still stuck in your broken flesh. You've got a brain and a mind that's been programmed by all kinds of garbage. And you are stuck living in it, and you're going to be stuck living in it until you die. But that machine you're living in, it's breaking down. The gears aren't turning quite so well anymore. The stuff's not flowing quite so well anymore. It's going to be worse tomorrow. It's going to be worse the next day. And pretty soon it's going to quit working. And when it quits working, you're out of there. And you are revealed for who you really are. I can't wait. I can't wait to experience completely functional relationships. I can't wait to experience a community of absolute perfect love. I can't wait to be perfectly loved. And I can't wait to perfectly love. Can you imagine it? You are headed for a family where everybody always gets along perfectly. 
And you experience perfect relationships all the time. That's your future. And you're going to be part of it. Oh, that's what you were made for. And when you step into heaven, there's going to be a lot of thoughts that come to your mind, but I'm just sure this is going to be one of the first. One of the very first thoughts is going to be, oh, this is what I was made for. This is where I fit. This is where I belong. This is what I was made for. And you'll experience it in a way like you've never experienced it before. And you will be home forever. Why is the good news so good? Because we have an Abba Father, which is who we belong to. We have a family, which is what we belong to. And we have a future, which is where we belong. And that is good news. Let's pray. God, thank you for that. Thank you that it's true. Thank you it's not just a story. Lord, I praise you that you are my Father. You are my Father. Where else am I from? I am from you. I am made in your image. You made me to be like you. Thank you, God. Thank you for my family. Thank you that there's a whole world of people that, that are filled with your spirit all over the world. There's people and I can walk up to them and I sense a kindred spirit because there is a kindred spirit. Because we are in the family of God. It's a real, real thing. And we can have relationship that's completely different because of your spirit. And thank you, God, for the future, which is where I belong. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you, it's coming. Lord, thank you. The day's going to be there when I'm going to step into this world and it's going to be perfect relationship and perfect family and it's my family and it's where I belong. I just bless you for that, Lord. Help me to live in light of that every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.